0: Hello and welcome back to Viking Fuel. My name is Anthony and as always, I'm broadcasting out of sunny, beautiful San Diego. I do wanna say sorry for the long pause between my episodes. I was a bit busy with my normal day job. For those of you that don't know, I'm an audio engineer and I'm uh, currently mixing live bands uh, at Humphreys Backstage here in San Diego, which I love this job that I've got. It's uh, actually kind of a cool job that I get to work with music all day. But my job aside, I do actually really love talking about mead. It's by far one of my favorite hobbies, which is part of the reason I'm doing the podcast that I have been doing. With the podcast, I do like trying to bring resources in whenever I can, trying to not only enhance myself as well as other mead makers to give them more options and more things to look at. Um, One of the resources I personally use a lot is uh, The Big Book of Mead Recipes by Robert Radcliffe. This is one of many books that Robert has written. And uh, I use this book constantly for inspiration on um, meads that I make. Um, At some point, I do hope that I can try to get Robert on the show. We'll see if that happens. Um, But... I will say that he does go very in-depth in his books and uh, gives a lot of insight on uh, not only the recipes but also um, the processes for using nutrients and uh, things like that. So it definitely is a great resource to uh, look at the books that he makes. Um, As for what I personally have got going on in the world of making mead. I just finished a batch of my Huckleberry Boucher, this is uh, by far my personal favorite recipe that I've made. Um, I did tweak the recipe a little bit this time. Um, For the first time I've ever done it, I used a liquid yeast which was a White Labs WLP 720. I never used liquid yeast before and uh, after talking with some fellow mead makers uh, on the uh, Modern Mead Makers Facebook page that I've mentioned before. Um, I've got some advice about this specific yeast brand because of the fact that it likes to stall out a lot to, um, let it sit in its starter for a while. That way it can, uh, build up and, uh, reproduce a lot better prior to actually pitching it inside of, uh, my must. And, uh, I took this advice, I let it sit in the starter for about six hours, uh, while I went to work actually. And, um, I came back home and it was bubbling away. And uh, I put it inside of my must, and um, from there, I followed my standard protocol of staggering my nutrients, and it came out great. Um, Probably one of the clearest meats I've ever made, and uh, I'm really happy with that. Speaking of clarity, um, that kind of touches a bit on what I want to talk about in this episode. Uh, We left off last time with hydrometer readings, um, but we still haven't talked about stabilizing your mead or clearing the particulates out. And uh, that's something that I want to talk about before we start getting into uh, bottling. So first, let's talk about stabilizing. Um, What are you doing when you're stabilizing your mead, first of all? Uh, So let's talk about that. What you are doing is you're hindering the growth of any more yeasts, and you're slowing the fermentation down I am hesitant to say that you are killing the yeast or stopping fermentation and the reason I'm hesitant on that is because it's not always true and it is important to realize the possibility of the fermentation restarting after being bottled as this still can create a bottle bomb if you haven't stabilized properly um, Stabilizing is the best way I know of to prevent bottle bombs from happening. It's the best way I know of to stop your fermentation, but it still is not the absolute most accurate way of killing off the yeast. It doesn't necessarily kill it so much as prevent it from um, continuing to repopulate and grow. Now, if you want your mead to be carbonated, don't don't stabilize it. Your yeast will need to remain active to create the CO2 bubbles for your carbonation. Rather than stabilizing, let the mead reach the alcohol content you're looking for, and then from there, you're gonna use either carbonation drops or uh, a conditioning sugar prior to bottling. Um, Honestly, when it comes to mead, I don't have much experience with carbonation. I've only done it once with a beer, but I... Definitely uh, with the beer that I made uh, I let the beer reach uh, the yeast is uh, alcohol content and Then uh, from there I stabilized. I feel like this is probably your best way to go about Doing a mead that you're carbonating uh, That way you don't have as much of a risk of creating a bottle bomb Um, However, if you are using carbonated uh, mead, uh, there are options to prevent it from being dangerous, such as uh, the swing tops, uh, to where if it does happen to pop open, it won't necessarily cause a bottle to explode, it'll just pop the top off, and then you can just flip that back on. Um, As for stabilizing, though, uh, the way that I go about doing this is uh, I'll uh, first... Prior to stabilizing, I like to, um, rack my mead from the primary to a secondary to get it off the trub, and, uh, I feel like this helps a lot my clarity by doing this, and then, uh, from there, I'll, uh, add my Camden tablets and, uh, my, um, uh, potassium sorbate, and then, uh, from there, what I do is I degas, uh, for one, this is to, uh, bring the mead to being a still mead to where it's no longer carbonated and two uh, it gives the stabilizers a good chance to get mixed up in the mead and uh, make sure they're actually doing their job and uh, I'll let it sit there for a good days a good few days uh, maybe a couple weeks actually even uh, before I start working on clearing the mead and um, for those that don't know, what clearing is is basically it's uh, it's more of a fining process. It's not exactly necessary, but it makes your mead or wine uh, look a lot nicer. It makes it look a lot cleaner. Um, it helps get rid of a lot of the yeast particles as well as uh, anything else that might be floating around in your mead. And uh, basically gives it a nice shine, a more professional look where you don't have random little things floating around on the bottom that make people wonder, well, uh, is this even safe to drink? (laughs) Um, So for for clearing, I often like to use uh, what's called cold crashing. Now, before I get into cold crashing, I do want to mention that this is not a method for stabilizing. Cold crashing is strictly for clearing. And the reason I bring that up is um, if you try to use cold crashing for stabilizing as well as clearing um, you might run the risk of your yeast reactivating effectively creating a bottle bomb and uh, I want to try to make sure that I'm teaching safe methods as much as possible to prevent people from getting hurt so do keep in mind cold crashing does not stabilize it is only a method for cleaning In fining your mead after you already have stabilized. Um, So what cold crashing is, or the way I go about it, I should say, uh, I take a small one gallon batch. This is normally the batch that I'll use cold crashing on. And uh, I just throw it in my fridge for uh, about a week, maybe two weeks, and uh, what this does is it'll start dragging all the particulates down to the bottom. And uh, from there, I just rack off of this. I have found that while this is effective, uh, personally, I prefer to use bentonite uh, for my clearing process. And uh, for bentonite, I'll talk a little bit about what that is. Uh, So it's a clay made from volcanic ash. And um, the way you go about using it is uh, you'll want to read the package's instructions on this because each package is gonna have their own different way of doing it. Uh, Each company has their different specifics on how to do it, but the basic idea is gonna be, you take the bentonite, uh, you mix it into water at a certain ratio depending on the company. Uh, You want the water to be hot, uh, hot so that um, it has a chance to dissolve. And then uh, from there, you wanna try to avoid getting any lumps or clumpiness in there. And uh, once you've got it nice and mixed up with hot water, you uh, pour it into your mead. And um, what this does is as the clay starts to float down to the bottom, it will attach to the particulates in your mead or wine. And uh, drag it down to the bottom, which uh, from there, uh, you'll be able to clear um, the mead and uh, rack off of all that trub at the bottom and uh, it'll give you a nicer looking product. Now, personally, like I mentioned before, I like using bentonite more than uh, using the cold crashing method. I feel it brings me a cleaner product. And uh, because of that, I'm using it more often as my clearing process. Um, I do wanna state that these are not the only methods for stabilizing or clearing your mean. There are other methods available. I know a lot of people that Um, They like to use super clear, and I've heard a lot of great things about it. I personally haven't tried it yet, but uh, it is something I do have in mind in the future. Um, But I felt that giving these methods out are a good way to start looking at how to clear and how to um, stabilize your mead rather than looking at some of the more advanced ways of doing it. And uh, because of that, I felt it's a good way to start people and share it. Um, So I am recording this episode on Halloween. I do want to say Happy uh, All Hallows Eve to all of you. I know personally I'm going to be continuing my tradition of watching Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas tonight. Until next time, this has been Viking Fuel. Enjoy some mead and share with some fellow warriors. Skull.